You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. Yeah, I was staying last night at El Rancho Robles. Is that, is that how you say it? Robles? Robles. So there you go. You're already, you're already teaching me this morning. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm running through my sermon manuscript, you know, just the, for the final time. Uh, and I start smelling smoke. And I'm like, well, I did press this shirt. And I'm not burning my shirt. And uh, so this sermon is hot this morning, okay? So just so you know, uh, so there was a fire up there. I, I do honestly just want to pray uh, for that, that business and for, for the people that were there. I, I, I kind of was torn as I, I was getting ready to leave, and I actually grabbed all my stuff out of the room, but, you know, do I need to run around and knock on doors? So I was, but I didn't want to be late to preach here this morning, so hopefully God will forgive me. So, so let's, let's pray, pray for them. Now, Father, we... Uh, we recognize that, that you, are, you are Lord over all of the earth uh, and that uh, um, accidents are not surprises to you and that you are working them. And God, we pray that your hand of grace, your hand of safety would be over the other people who, are, uh, uh, who were staying there last night, uh, God, that, uh, um, yeah, that, you would, that you would use the fire department to, to limit the damage and um, that uh, the, the grace of insurance, God, we, we complain when we uh, have to make payments sometimes, but God, uh, we pray that, uh, that things would be rebuilt and things would be repaired so, uh, so a business here in this town uh, might thrive and flourish. So, uh, God, we love you. Uh, we pray. I pray for my, my cold, uh, God, that you would sustain my voice today um, and uh, that you, God, most of all, would be seen, known, and followed because of our time here this morning. Uh, we love you, Father. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, Pastor James, uh, when I met him for lunch in Florence this week, uh, he said that he was going down to Rocky Point to preach. I I don't know if you knew that or not, but he didn't offer for me to go to Rocky Point. He offered for me uh, to come here, but I I enjoyed getting to know him, and uh, I I have a lot of relationships with a network of churches called Vision Arizona, and so I bring them your greetings, and uh, I'll bring yours to them as well. Uh, Vision Arizona has a simple mission. It's to start and to strengthen churches. And so they want to come around church planters, uh, people who are doing new gospel works in existing churches so that the kingdom of God might come more powerfully here in Arizona as it is in heaven. Uh, just recently, there was a Vision Yuma that was launched and a Vision Tucson down in this area that was launched. And so the reason why I'm here is just to be an encouragement uh, to you. And so, um, well, my kids, uh, one of my, my kids' favorite activities is to go to the park that's just a couple blocks from our house. And, and when you have, oh, here's my daughter, Lilia. So, so it, we have a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a seven-month-old. And so I can assure you, when it's time to go to the park, this is no small project. At my house, usually someone's not wearing pants, and I don't know why. Uh, and so everyone's got to, like, get their clothes on. We have to get sunscreen on everybody. Everyone has to have their waters. All five of us have to go to the bathroom. Uh, we have to get in the wagon and in the stroller and on the bike. And by that point in time, somebody has to go to the bathroom again. You know, like, that's just how, how it works with our chaotic crew. But it all seems worth it when we finally reach the park 
And inevitably, one of my kids just catches a glimpse of the playground. And it's inevitable because they, they say, Daddy, Daddy, there it is. There, there's the playground. And while they, they love the slides and they love the jungle gyms, the swings are, are really kind of the highlight of their, their trip. Now, now, I don't know how, how, how often you've had to think about what the mechanics are of getting moving on the swing. It's probably like riding a bike for many of you. But my daughter, Lilia, who's two, uh, right here on the picture, she's just getting to the point where I can teach her what it means to kind of get started and stay moving on the swing. And really, there are two basic movements, uh, besides hanging on, of course, there are two basic movements that, that are present to kind of get going on a swing. It's to lean back and extend your feet. Now, I want to learn a little bit about you all this morning, so I'm going to ask you to participate here for a second. You're in a perfect position to try this out, okay? You're sitting down. So on the count of three, I'm going to say the words lean back, and I want you to lean back in your seat, and if you are brave enough, I want you to extend your feet, okay? All right, one, two, three. Lean back. Okay, like half of you did that, so turn to your neighbor and say, don't be grumpy, play along, okay? All right, well, thank you. You all, you all are kind. I'm going to ask you to participate a few times uh, throughout our message this morning. And, uh, but those two activities of leaning back and extending out, so maybe we take them for granted, but we shouldn't take them for granted for someone like Lilia, Because if she were to neglect those activities, or if you were to get on a swing and you were to neglect doing those things, you would just be sitting there in the baking sun. Can we agree on that? Right? You would never experience the sky-high joys and the radiant thrill of going to new heights if you wouldn't fully engage. Now, this isn't just, well, this is some way for me to show you a picture of my daughter because she's super cute and I just wanted to, wanted to do that. Uh, but, but, but I didn't just talk about the swings for, for that reason, but I actually believe this playful image of drawing back and extending out tells us a lot about the crucial movements of what is required for a full life with God as well. So catch this. This is the big idea this morning I want you to hear In order to experience a full life with God, we need to both retreat into greater intimacy with him in prayer and push out with reckless abandon in mission towards the world. We need to both draw back into his heart for nourishment and we need to expend ourselves for the sake of others knowing Jesus in order to have a full life with God. Now, don't, don't mishear me this morning. Uh, I'm not saying that, that if there are any Christians, yourself or anyone that you know, who, who has no discernible life of prayer or, or they, they have no sense in which their faith is impacting the world, I'm not saying they're not Christians. What I am saying is that their life might resemble what it looks like for somebody to be sitting there baking in the sun. There might not be a sense of joy. There might not be the thrill of feeling like they're fully alive in Christ. But when these movements of prayer and mission, when they are embraced, 
I believe the church and the people in it travel faster. I believe they soar higher. And I believe they smiled much, much more wildly. Isn't that what our hearts long for? That deep in the core of our being, that we long to know that we know that we know that God has made us for something. So this morning, we're going to be looking at these two topics these two movements of the Christian life, prayer and mission, and these are actually two movements are partners with one another. They work in harmony, and I am convinced they're actually what make things go in the Christian life. I believe this not just because I got to show you a picture of my daughter Lilia, but I did, so I did that, but, but it's actually what the Apostle Paul seems to be saying in Colossians chapter 4. Verses 2 through 6. Now, you were in the, the final week of, of studying through this, this book, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a small little church off the beaten path in a town that most people hadn't even heard of called Colossae. And Paul himself had never actually even been there. One of his co-workers had planted that church, but he heard about their faith. He heard about some of the struggles that they were experiencing. And so from a prison cell, he wrote them this letter. And so we're concluding our our study on Colossians today, and I'd encourage you to read all of chapter 4 sometime this week so you can see how the book wraps up. Let's read uh, verses 2 through 6 together. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, For which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Will you pray with me? Father, we, we pray that these words would come alive to us, uh, even in this moment, uh, that, that, that we would be drawn towards greater intimacy with you, uh, and that we would be pushed out, extended out in the world because of this encouragement that Paul gives uh, to this church in Colossae. So God, do, do a great work in us today. We love you, and we thank you for Jesus. Amen. Well, the first of the two big movements that kind of get things going in the Christian life, is drawing back into God's heart. Now notice uh, how Paul begins this this passage. Uh, He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now oftentimes when I'm reading uh, the scriptures and I'm just kind of marching my way through chapters in a particular book, um, I don't always know like what kind of emphasis is being put on a particular paragraph or even on a particular sentence until I begin to dig in a little deeper. But, but this first phrase, devote yourselves to prayer, it's not really cased in like suggestive language. It's not really like a light encouragement. It's actually a command. And you know what a command is. If, if you've got some bags and you're, you're leaving the grocery store and you walk out the front door and somebody says, freeze, put your hands up. Now, you may not drop your bags, but likely you will stop because one of two things is happening. Either a police officer has mistaken you for a shoplifter or 
one of your friends is messing with you. Is that, do you have friends, you have friends like, like that? And so you, you would turn around <coughs> and you would listen because there's been a command that you need to pay attention to. So Paul commands the Colossian church, he says, be devoted to prayer, persist in it, keep after it, continue steadfastly. Now, as, as you hear that command, that call even come across your ears, I, I don't know what, what comes to mind when you think about having a devoted life to prayer. Maybe you think, does that mean having a longer and longer prayer list where items keep on stacking up and things get more and more detailed and nothing ever leaves the prayer list, it just gets bigger? Is that what it means to be devoted to prayer? But maybe, maybe you think that being devoted to prayer means following the words of Jesus, that you would go off into a closet by yourself and that you'd begin to spend more and more and more time in, in solitude and silence. Is that what it means to be devoted to prayer? For, for some of you, maybe as you're hearing these options, maybe you're like, well, that's not practical. If, if we are honest with one another, Pastor James told me uh, that many of you work really, really hard. That you work long hours. That when you get home, you are spent. And so, so being devoted to prayer means very long lists or time in solitude. <laughs> I just don't know if this is going to work, Paul. For others of you, you're, you're maybe a stay-at-home mom or you're, you're a stay-at-home dad. And, and every time you, you try to shut a door to a room, even if it's the bathroom, there are little fingers that come under the door and little faces that press up. What are you doing in there? <laughs> When they know what we're doing. Okay, this is a confession moment, so thank you. Thank you for listening. But maybe there's this part of us that just thinks like, can I actually even live a life that's devoted to prayer? Would it even work for me? And the good news is, is that Paul's talking about a little different kind of prayer than the ones that, that I just talked about here because he says, be devoted to prayer, being watchful, and thankful, with a heart of gratitude to have your eyes open throughout the course of your day. Jesus uses this, this phrase of, of kind of keep watch or be, be eyes open in Matthew chapter 24 when he's talking to his disciples about what they should anticipate before he returns back for the final time. Matthew chapter 24 verse 42 says this, therefore keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So Paul, Paul, Paul uses this, this same image of, of having eyes open. If you knew the, the, the criminal was coming to your house at a particular hour, you wouldn't be sleeping. That's what Jesus says. So you keep your eyes open. So Paul uses the same image to say, church, be devoted to prayer, not just with your eyes shut in a closet somewhere, but with your eyes open as you are going throughout the course of your day. Don't sleep on this, church. And that might just require you 
to maybe learn some new mental and spiritual habits in order to, to, to be devoted to prayer in this kind of way because I know it has for me. I was pastoring a church in Mesa. I was one of the lead pastors for six and a half years. Uh, and about the five and a half year mark, uh, I, I sensed God beginning to, to stir me, uh, maybe even possibly call me to, to do something different. I wasn't really sure what that meant yet, but I started to pray about it and talk about it with my wife. And, and then what ended up happening was the exact thing that I recommend other people don't do. Maybe you, you have that circumstance. You know, you always figure out what you're going to do before you leave job that you're at, right? But about six months into this, this internal wrestling, it just became super clear as I was speaking with the Lord that he said, you, you need to let go. Let go of the steering wheel of leadership and trust me. So uh, my wife, who's a licensed professional counselor, we, we, we've been in discussions like how might this work and a deep desire to stay planted in the valley where we've been living. I've been living for a decade, her, her whole life. Um, and so she was going to increase the amount of clients that she had at her practice, and I was going to go home and stay with the children. So now you know how to pray for my family, okay? And we kind of figured, you know, this might be a temporary thing, you know, you know, something will come up that'll be just the right fit very soon. But it's been two years. Isn't that how life works sometimes? Lord, I know you told me to, to go, and I'll do that, but seriously, <laughs> can, we, can we have the second part to this yet? But as I've, as I've lived in this stay-at-home dad life, something I never thought I would be doing, ever, God has begin, begun to kind of reorient my internal world a little bit. When I, when I was pastoring I, full-time, I would, I would have an office that I would go to. You know, I'd help get the kids up in the morning and, you know, do all that stuff. And then I'd go off to, to my work and I'd have plenty of time to read, to study, to write, to, to spend time in prayer, to plan, to strategize. Plenty of time. That's not what stay-at-home dad life is like, okay? I wake up in the morning and things are absolute chaos. So I've had to learn the discipline of what it looks like to open the scripture in our living room, with toys everywhere, possibly fighting being going on, toys flying around me at times, and even though I can't concentrate to the degree in which I am used to, and maybe to the degree in which I want to, I know that God wants to speak. He wants to speak just as much in the playroom as he does in the office. That's his heart. I've had to learn what it looks like to do my most active praying when my hands are in the dishes, to put the longings of my heart before God, even though I'm not in some sort of closet with my journal out writing things down. So having this eyes wide open, kind of as you go throughout life, devotion to a communion with God is something that might be hard. It might be clunky as you begin to do this more and more and more. But I think that's the invitation that this text actually gives us to have a moment-by-moment -moment communion with God. Where we pepper our day with short breath prayers. Lord, give me extra focus to finish this task before I leave. 
Father, thank you for the smell of fresh cut grass. Lord, where, where are you at in the midst of this relationship? Give me wisdom. Help me see what you see. God, be with those people over there in that booth in the restaurant because it looks like it's tense over there. We are invited to grow more and more and more for, for, for the movement of the swing, if you will, to grow more and more and more to where, to where God's life and our life are synced. I appreciate this quote by G.K. Chesterton. Uh, he's, he's passed now. He's a Brit, so you can hold that against him if you want. But um, He says this, you say grace before meals. All right. But I say grace before the concert and the opera and grace before the play and grace before I open a book and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in ink. What he's saying is that God's presence is saturated across all of life. That there's not a nook or cranny of your existence of which God does not want to say, mine. There's not a culture across the globe. There's not a community or a workspace or an hour in your day of which God does not want to say, I'm here. Commune with me. Maybe, maybe, maybe an easy, memorable way for, for you to kind of lock in on this idea is that, that you would maybe learn a song. So you'll, you'll learn that I'm not a worship leader here in about one second. Uh, and with the cold, it's worse. So, uh, so I'm going to teach you a song that my children learned at VBS this year. And I, I don't actually remember the full song. Uh, but I do remember one line from it that, that, that I sing, not every day, but from time to time, with my children around so that they know and remember that God is with us. And so that I know and remember, maybe most importantly, that God is with us. So it goes like this. I like to chew my gum with God. I like to chew my gum with God. You want you want you wanna do it with me? Like some of you are like, come on now, the swing and now now this. So if you're brave enough on the count of three, will you do that with me? Okay, all right, one, two, three. I like to chew my gum with God. I like to chew my gum with God. So, now th thank you, thank you. But that, uh, honestly... Like, is God not there? Even, even in that, is God not there? He longs to be there, no matter what you're doing, with eyes wide open throughout every activity of your day and to commune with you. So that's the, the first movement uh, in, in this, this kind of basics of, of a full life with God is learning to lean back, to, to kind, of, kind of accept 
the opportunity of backwards movement and being in his presence through prayer. Now, we're going to be spending more time on the second movement of mission here because that's actually what Paul does. And so I'm going to give you uh, six aspects of mission. And if you're thinking, oh gosh, the three and a half hours wasn't a joke, don't worry. They're going to be rapid fire because Paul actually, it's almost like you're reading through these verses. It's almost like Paul's like, in this and this and this and this, and remember this and this and this, and oh, there's a little part here. Um, and so I used to use this text. Uh, I used to direct a nonprofit where I coached missionaries to be effective in, in reaching their community for Christ. And I used to use this text as a launching point into other things about being effective and using your life for God. So, so there's more than six, but I, I shortened it for you. You're welcome. So, okay. All right. So Colossians chapter four, verses three and four says this, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And maybe you're you're thinking like, well, I thought we were leaving like the prayer deal behind as we were beginning to look at extending out in mission. But it's so clear that these activities work in such partnership with one another that there's a sense in which they intersect with one another that Paul asks in the life of devoted prayer, remember me. Remember the work I am doing in planting churches. Remember the work that I am doing in proclaiming something here. So the first of the six aspects that, that I want to draw out of this text is this. Recognize that mission is first of all God's, not yours. Mission is first of all God's, not yours. If we define mission as all things being brought under the lordship of Christ... That's every aspect of life, every human culture, every person, and every moment of their day, all things being brought under the lordship of Christ, bearing God's values and his priority. If that's kind of how we understand mission, then that is a big job. There are billions of people who do not know Jesus in the world. Every city is broken. Every person is broken in one level or another. This is beyond any one of us. And Paul recognizes this because he says, pray that God may open a door. Pray that God would move in your midst. I think when when people first kind of get a vision for uh, seeing that, that all of life can be lived under the lordship of Jesus Christ, it it can sometimes cause uh, two errors, one of two errors. One is that people can be paralyzed in fear. What what in the world? What can I do? I mean, I'm like one person. There are billions of people who don't know Jesus. There, There are so many towns and so many things that are broken. What in the world can I do? That's one error. The the opposite error that other people can make is they can become overly responsible for God's mission. And they can believe by their own power, their own strength, their own intelligence, their own energy, that they can get stuff done for God. If I could just fit a few more things in, then things will really be moving forward. If I could just... I believe this this note that Paul makes in requesting prayer is, 
is good news to both of those parties. Because, because the mission is first of all God's, not ours. We cannot change hearts. We can't. We cannot change communities. We're not that smart. We cannot bring dead churches back to life because we have cool music or great children's programs or fun preaching. We can't do that. God needs to move. We can't solve the world's problems. It starts with recognizing that God is the one who needs to open the doors to move. And that happens as we commune with him in prayer. In his book, uh, The Best Kept Secret of Christian Mission, uh, author John Dixon tells this story that I want to relay to you here. He talks about a woman named Karen who had a new job, and a couple of her coworkers were, were Christians. And, and for two years, she just, like, enjoyed being around the, these new friends that she had. They, they would oftentimes hang around outside of work, and there, there were bits of love and bits of grace that, that, that were, were given from them to her. She heard little pieces and parts of the gospel uh, throughout those two years, but she, she just wasn't there. It just wasn't for her. Something, it just didn't connect. One night, uh, she woke up at 2.30 in the morning. And she, she just felt the warmth of God begin to, to impact her heart. She felt in her bed the grace of God become more tangible uh, to her. 2.30 in the morning. She called her friend Keith first thing, one of her coworkers when she got up and told her, I, I'm, I'm in. Like, I, like it, it happened last night. Like, it, it all just like kind of clicked. It made sense. God, God met me. He said, what time was that? She said, oh, it was 2.30. He said, at, at 2.15 last night, God woke me. And he asked me to pray for you, that, that his presence would be palpable, that, that you would, would unmistakably know the grace of God that is shown in the face of Jesus Christ. And as they've begun to tell this story even to John Dixon, they just kind of laugh because they're like, that's never happened to me before, and it's never happened to me since. I sleep just fine. But they couldn't believe that, that God would move in such a way that he would wake one person up in one house at 2.15 in the morning and that they would begin to plead that darkness would be pushed back, that grace would move forward in such tangible ways and that someone would say yes to Jesus. Church, if I can give you a command, it's this. Speak to God about people. Say their name. Bring them before his throne of grace. God, open the door. God, change their heart. Speak to God about people. 
in this eyes wide open diet of prayer that the Apostle Paul calls this church, calls this church to that he's never met, he says, don't leave out praying for people to come to Christ. Okay, number two, second aspect of extending out in mission is this, that there is a message to include in mission. So verse three, uh, we're just going to read it again, uh, and pray for us too that God may open a door for what? For our message, which, what is that message? So that we may proclaim, okay, this is the message, right? The mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Does that at all sound weird to you? That Paul's saying, hey, there's something I'm gonna start, start talking about and it's a mystery. Does that sound, sound weird to you at all? Scholar P.T. O'Brien, New Testament scholar, puts it this way. He says, the word mystery in modern speech means a sublime or unclear truth that is marveled at, but only partly understood. So Paul's like, pray for me. I'm going to talk about a mystery and I guess pray that it might hit home with some people. Now, fortunately, if you've been reading through the book of Colossians, you, you already know that Paul has talked about the mystery earlier on in chapter 1. He's already told them what he means. So, so when we launch into this point in chapter 4, we can draw off of chapter 1. That's why there's value in reading larger chunks of Scripture. So you can use it, well, what is that mystery? Well, he talks about it in chapter 1. So, so we're going to look at some, a few verses in chapter 1 together to get our understanding of what the mystery is. So... Uh, verse 25 of chapter 1 says this. Paul says, I have become a servant of the church by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. That sounds like a big deal. The word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is, ta-da, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. It's not about getting them in the door. It's about growing them. To this end, Paul says, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me, I want you to know, church, Paul's saying, how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, one of their neighboring churches, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. So when Paul says later on, pray that God may open a door so that I can proclaim a message, the mystery is Christ. And it's that God wants to do something beautiful in the heart of every single person. He wants to take up residence inside of them, inside of me, and inside of you. That he doesn't wait until we are completely cleaned up he doesn't wait until we have all of our act together, but he so desires to come and to live inside of you so he can begin to do the work from the inside 
out. So that every moment of every day might bear his likeness and might bear his image, even our gum chewing. When people say yes to Jesus, when they come out soaking wet from the waters of baptism, transformation happens. God comes and sets up shop. In another letter to, to another church he did plant, Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Part of that new is God himself living inside of us. The message that we proclaim is that God wants to make you a new person to anyone that we're talking to. God wants to make you new. He's not afraid of your ugly habits. He's not afraid of your past. He's not turned off by your thoughts. He loves you. He wants to set up shop inside of you. He wants to change you from the inside out, to break down fear, to unleash love, and to foster hope in each person. And he does that by coming to live in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Number three, got to keep going, sorry. Ask me questions after. Number three, be clear in presenting Christ. Be clear in presenting Christ. Verse four says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now, there's this interesting interplay in this text between, between God needing to do something. He's got to open the door. And yet there's a responsibility that the messenger needs to feel. That the missionary that the witness to Jesus, that, that they also need to, to, to bear the responsibility of bringing this message to the world. And Paul asked this church, would you pray that I would be clear? Would you pray that, 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 that I, would, I would be skilled in presenting this good news? Would you pray for that? I know for many people, the, the idea of sharing their faith uh, can, can be intimidating. I've, I've, I've felt it's intimidating many times. My, my encouragement to you is, is, and maybe you'll have to do this this week, uh, is, is to just to know a concise, clear answer to three questions. Simply your story. What was life like before Jesus? Very clear, concise answer to that. Maybe a couple sentences. How did you meet Jesus? Was it through a song that was sung? Was it, was, it, was it from the word being preached? Was it because someone just wrapped you up in the biggest hug and you finally experienced the unconditional love of God through the arms of another person? How, how did you meet Jesus? What difference does it make? You don't have to bear the weight of knowing the answer to every single question. Or oh, I don't know, they might ask me an answer or a question about science, and I don't know on that. Uh, well, they, they might ask me about, you know, 
this, this other, they might ask me about the Old Testament section of this, and I haven't even read that. Um, you, you don't have to bear the weight of having to know everything. Um, I, I came over these stats uh, about nine months ago um, from the Billy Graham Association. So you put up the, the fill-in-the-blank thing, please. Okay, so this is according to research done by the Billy Graham Association. I heard about it from the church planting director, Alex Rahill of the Evangelical Covenant Church. So that's credit. Um, it's not my research. I don't, I don't got time for that. There's play to be done in my house. So, um, so I want you to think, try to fill in some numbers here. The average person hears the gospel blank times before accepting Christ. So get a number. And then the average person has blank touches from a church before coming through the doors. Okay? All right. Survey says... Ooh. You guys already looked at the PowerPoint, huh? Dang it. I work so hard at like get, trying to engage you guys. So go ahead and put up the other one too. Uh, the average person has seven touches from a church. So, so when, when, I say, when I say be clear in presenting Christ, but don't bear the weight of having to feel comprehensive, it's because God is at work. He's orchestrating different people to cross someone's path, to share other little gospel bites, to share their story so that the rest will be filled out. And everyone needs to know a different amount of stuff before they say yes to Jesus. You do not need to bear the weight of knowing everything. God's, God's got it, okay? And even a local church. Now, some people, they might need to be touched 45 times for a local church. Some people once before they come through the open doors. I love what you guys are doing by, by doing your service Sunday that's coming up. That's one of those touches. Get involved in that. Do it. Because one of those touches in that person's life is going to bring them into here, and then one of the messages is going to bring them into there. And isn't that a beautiful thing? But be clear in presenting Christ. Okay, first three aspects of mission I'll review, and then we're going to do rapid fire on the last three, I seriously promise. So first three aspects of mission, of extending out into mission are this. To recognize, first of all, that the mission is God's, not yours. Second, that there's a message to include in the mystery. That's Christ. It's Christ in you. Third, be clear in presenting Christ. The last three aspects of mission uh, will come from verses 5 and 6. Paul says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Number four, mission includes actions. Mission includes actions. This is actually the second of two commands that Paul gives in this text. He says, be devoted to prayer, number one. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, number two. This is lifestyle language. Some, some of your translations say, conduct yourselves in wisdom, walk in wisdom, behave in wisdom. This is more about what you do than what you say. 
Now, the fullness of somebody experiencing the gospel will, will include both of those things. It's about word and deed. It's about proclaiming something and portraying something. It's about declaring something and demonstrating something. In kindergarten language, it's about show and tell. Something's put up in front of somebody and you explain what it means. So mission includes action. <coughs> in her book, <clears throat> in her book, Kingdom Calling, I think this story came from her, so I'll try to give credit. In her book, Kingdom Calling, Amy Sherman uh, tells uh, real life stories of, of people who are finding ways to bring their faith and to connect it to their work, to bring their, their belief in Jesus into their nine-to-five realities. Um, and she talks about some people who are like 10,000 times smarter than I am. I mean, that, that's not real hard to do, but uh, you know, maybe 20,000 times smarter than I am because they're, they're Christians that work in the field of genetic research. And the way genetic research works is that there's a disorder or a disease or, or something, and that usually the, the, more, the more pervasive the disorder is, the more funds that are donated or the more grant money that's given, so there can be more understanding about that so the, the most people can be served. And that, that makes sense, right? Like, we understand that. Um, well, well, there's also super rare disorders. Three people in the world, 10 people in the world, whatever, that they don't get the attention. They don't get a bunch of donated funds so that people who are especially skilled at looking at the human body can help understand what's going on so that hopefully they can receive help. Well, there's some Christians that work in the genetic research field who after they clock off and after they put their best hours of their day and their energy that donate their time to researching some of the more obscure disorders and diseases. What a beautiful thing. And that's the kind of action, mission action, what you do, th that needs an explanation, right? I mean, instead of going to hang out with your family, instead of going to do something more fun, um, instead, of, instead of that, wh why? Why do you spend time doing that? And they get the opportunity to say, because every life matters to God. Mission includes action. Okay, number five, speak with grace. Band, this is like your time if you're coming up, so wherever they are. Speak with grace. Colossians uh, chapter four, verse six says this. Uh, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This might be one of the most important ones. I don't think I have to be. I don't have to spend a ton of time on this because I think it'll sync with you pretty quickly. Speak with grace. We live in a culture of hashtags and hot takes, and the people who are the loudest oftentimes get the most attention. But the people that have had the most influence in our lives, most of us, I think, are people that have a much more quiet witness, a much more loving presence. Speak with grace. 
John Dixon also tells, tells this story. Uh, there are two, two men, they're, they're Australian, so they say like mate a lot, apparently. So, so they're, 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 they do road biking together every Saturday. And so there's one Christian and one not, and the non-Christian is just kind of railing against the hypocrisy that he sees uh, in, in the lives of other Christians. He says, mate, I just, I can't believe that you would choose to spend so much time with, with all the hypocritical people in the church. Their lives look nothing like Jesus. I can't believe that if Jesus was, was true, if he really was God, that the end result would be all of you people. Maybe, maybe he's got a point sometimes. But he was just going on. And his, his friend on the other bike just said, mate, don't, don't you worry about them. You just worry about you and God and let the rest take care of itself. And they kept on riding. Well, those words stuck. Worry about you and God. And as that man went home that day, it, the own hypocrisy in his heart began to bubble up. And to his own surprise, he went to a church the next day and to the surprise of everybody else that was there. And he gave his life to Christ. The next Saturday, he hadn't told his friend about this yet, so the next Saturday, they were on their bikes again together, mate and mate. Uh, And the, the new Christian talks to the Christian he's known for some time, and he says, hey, you know, you know those hypocrites? I'm one of them. And he says, you remember what you said last Saturday? It wouldn't, wouldn't leave me. His friend said, I, I, I don't remember. We've talked about this like a hundred times. Like, I, I, don't, I don't remember. And they laughed because the words that had the most impact in the eternity of another person weren't even remembered by the person who gave them. Speak with grace. Finally, make the most of every opportunity. Paul says that. Francis Schaeffer, a philosopher, author, was asked, if you could spend one hour, if you could spend one hour with someone, what would you focus on? What would you talk to them about? What would you do? And he said, I would spend the first 55 minutes listening to the other person and the last five speaking about the deepest longings that I hear in their heart. Church, I've been praying for you. I've been praying that you would have wise boldness. That as you embrace the the backwards leaning and backwards movement of drawing back into God's heart, that that would fuel you to know what to say and when to say it. And that you would speak with grace about Jesus. And that as you extend out in the world that you would know that you do not bear all the responsibility to make change because that's God's. Thank you uh, for having me this morning. Uh, Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would do even more work through Living Word Chapel. That you would just stir a passion for Jesus here people would know that they know that they know that they are loved by you, God. And that they walk forward in freedom sharing that love with all that they meet. Thank you, God. We pray these things in the name of Jesus.
This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.